Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here today with Dr. Samantha Doda. Dr. Doda is completing her residency in primary care at Indiana University School of Optometry. And Dr. Doda and I are going to talk about imposter syndrome. That's the feeling that uh, where doubts creep in, that perhaps you um, don't have the ability or qualifications to do what you're being asked to do when, in fact, you're probably absolutely qualified to uh, to do this kind of work. It's, it's something that affects high-performing individuals often. And uh, Dr. Dota, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought it up because I think so many people have moments of imposter syndrome creeping into their days. And, and I, I I love that as a as a young OD, you're trying to tackle it and 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 fight the beast early. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the chance to speak and just give my thought process on imposter syndrome because I know for myself, I struggle with it quite some quite often. I would say. Um, also, that being said, I'm in a really unique situation in the sense that I'm surrounded by an entirely female residency class, and I'm really lucky to have them. But I see it all the time with each other. And in one hand, it's really fun because we have a built in support system. And I know that my, you know, my girl group is always there to bounce ideas off of to really, you know, make sure that we're doing the right thing in every clinical decision. However, on the other hand, I always look back and I feel like, oh, well, maybe I don't really have to run these decisions by every single person because I do know the answer. I do know based off of my schooling and training and everything, I know what the decision making tree should look like. And yet I find myself doubting myself at every corner. And I think a lot of that just has to do with being new, being young, and doubting the fact that we've gone through all this schooling. And even though we are highly qualified, we really sit back and we doubt every decision we make, which I think as a young female in optometry who has gone through all these qualifications and rigorous tests and hard classes and just even the screening process to get into optometry school, which is just getting more and more competitive every year and even matching for residency and how competitive that can be. I think that it's something I struggle with every day and feeling like, oh, I do know enough to make these decisions and you know, taking a step back and looking how far I come, I have come in the past, you know, with school and graduating and doing a residency and being able to say, you know, I do have the qualifications. And not only that, but I have these patients who rely on me to make the correct qualifications, which I know that deep down I can do, but, you know, you still doubt that's, yourself. That's interesting. And do you, do you talk about that with your, with your uh, co-residents? Do, do you sense that they feel the same thing? Absolutely. And I'm noticing this pattern in a lot of ODs, even um, student ODs who are going through the IU program because I work directly with students. A lot of students come up to me and they say, you know, how, how am I ready to, you know, graduate and be a real full-fledged doctor in, you know, just two months here? And other third years who are saying, you know, how am I, am I ready to go off on externships and things like that? And I think for a field that is so obsessed with vision, we can be incredibly myopic sometimes. We look only at the things that are right in front of us, such as externships or graduation or leaving residency or finding a job. 
and, you know, being hired in that job and being able to, you know, doubt ourselves and say, can I perform in this role? Do I have the ability? And the answer is always yes, because, you know, you've made it this far and you obviously were qualified to make it this far and subsequently be a fit for the role that you're about to be in. And I see it not only in our residents, but I see it in students. I see it in, you know, people who are coming into optometry school, people who are optometry school hopefuls, and just across the board, you know, you're seeing this with students in general. And it's interesting because you say that you always come back to yes, yes, I can do this, but does it, does it frustrate you that, that you have to go through the, the, the same mental gymnastics every, every time? I think the most frustrating part about it is knowing that you have the knowledge, you have the answer, but then feeling like, oh, well, what if I am wrong? And I I tell my students this all the time, you know, the eyes are very resilient. Eyes are very resilient. If at any chance you have a doubt, there's all these avenues you can go down. You know, you can always bring a patient back. You can always do additional testing and there's no harm in asking for help and there's no harm in getting pun intended, another pair of eyes on Mm -hmm. the situation, but also trust your knowledge, feel confident in your skill set. And it's something that I know that I struggle with and my co-residents do, and just a lot of new grads in general struggle with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like where you say that you look back on how far you've come, because that has to be a, a, a coping mechanism or, or kind of a, a, um, a reset perhaps. Are there other uh, tricks or perspectives that you pull in when you when you find yourself in this in this spiral? Absolutely. I think that the most important thing is, and why I love to be in this field so much, is that you're having a direct result whenever you do anything in eye care. You know, a patient comes in with a red eye and you fix it, you see that patient really happy. Or, you know, a patient can't see very well and then you can correct them with lenses or glasses or whatever sort of refractive issue that they have, you know, you can correct just on in one visit or a couple of visits. I think the biggest thing for me to self-reflect is know how far I've come, but also seeing how much I've done, you know, Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. with patients and having them say also, you know, hey, this was a really positive experience for me. Or hey, you know, you really nailed that issue that I came in having and I've had this issue for a really long time. And yet you were the one who listened to me and you heard me out and we solved the problem together as a team. And I think that really makes it all worthwhile. And it really keeps the doubt at bay for quite some time because you know that you're making a positive impact in all these patients' lives directly. And you can see your the fruits of your labor, so to speak. Do you feel your confidence growing as a result of of these machinations of going through it and saying, you know what, I knew this all along? I think so. I think in some areas, yes. But I think the real positive of imposter syndrome is self-reflection because when you're sitting there and you're thinking about oh gosh I don't know this or how do I know this how am I in this position you're forced to answer your own Mm -hmm. question Mm -hmm. right so you have to sit there and say well why am I in this position how did I get here right so it goes back to what I said prior to self-reflection and being able to see how far you've come and say that you know, how did I get here? Oh, yeah, I elected to do a residency, or I elected to step into this role at this job that clearly liked me and hired me for, you know, my personality, my skill set, and everything else that I have to offer. 
So I think the positive that comes out of imposter syndrome is really sitting there marinating and self-reflecting and being able to take in everything that you've done. Right. Right. Do you have any any sense? I mean, it. it uh, I'm I'm certain that that people of of all genders have imposter syndrome, but it does seem to, um, at least in the literature, be connected more to women. Um, do you see that? Um, we're seeing more women enter into the healthcare industry, be it as providers, be it as you know higher level executives, things like that. Um, we see these women who come in and they take in stereotypical male roles. And a lot of patients itself might question not only if you're a woman, but if you're young. And that's mm-hmm. the trend that I'm seeing more often than being a woman, more so being young. If I had a nickel for every time I got asked, well, how, how old are you? Mm-hmm. You know, as a young female provider, it's, I, I would be a very, very rich resident, let's say that. <laughs> um, but I think that a lot of people do doubt when they see a very young provider. And, you know, graduates are getting younger as we see, you know, graduates are, you know, 25, 26, 27. I myself am 26. And, you know, as people age and come into our practices, you know, the boomer group, the baby boomer group is having the most need for eye care. And because they're the ones who we're seeing most predominantly, you know, I think it's more of a shock to them. And I don't think that they mean it in a negative sense. I don't think that they mean to question your ability or skill. But I think that is a very triggering statement when you hear, you know, well, how old are you? Or you can't really be the doctor. I think that is the single most common two statements that are not the single most, but the two most common statements Mm -hmm. that I personally get that sends me spiraling down this well you know they don't trust me as a doctor you know they don't see me as a doctor and how can they you know I am this young or I you know I am a recent grad and you forget about like I said you become very myopic and you forget everything that you've done are there things you can do personally for me I like bringing very high energy into the room so every time I walk into a room or I interact with a patient you know I kind of almost lean into how young I am I really bring in high energy. I try to be playful with the patient. I try to joke around with them and let them feel like, yes, I am young. However, I'm passionate about what I do. I'm very energetic about what I do. So instead of thinking about how they perceive me in a young, less knowledgeable stance, I hope that they perceive me in a young and energetic stance. That way, even if they do comment on it, I have more of a quirky or a, you know, a more... um happier, energetic response by saying, yeah, well, I am young, you know, Mm -hmm. leaning into it a little bit and admitting that you are young, but you're really passionate and excited to be Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's interesting that you say, you know, that what they say triggers, it's the, it's the little triggers. Do you find yourself psyching yourself up for what you think might be those, those kinds of, um, situations? I think definitely I mm-hmm. act differently in different situations. And mm-hmm. in a way, I hate that I do that. You know, I portray myself very differently in clinic than I do at, you know, a corporate dinner event. Or I portray myself very differently with my students that I work with in clinic versus, you know, older patients in clinic who come in with more serious mm-hmm. um, ocular conditions. 
So I think that for me, the hardest part about all this is staying true to who I am and actually even figuring out what kind of a clinician I want to be, what kind of a provider I want to be and what kind of energy I want to bring into the room, be it always positive and always energetic, just, you know, my tone of voice or my inflection points or, you know, how I act or my vernacular with certain situations. And I think that that really does live in my head quite often, you know, who am I going to be today? Or who am I going to be in this particular situation? And I think that also plays a lot into imposter syndrome, because if you don't act a certain way, or if you don't um, portray yourself, or if you don't embody a certain sense of professionalism, or portray yourself in a certain way, that could be a another comment that someone says about you or a strike against your professionalism and which also does put into question your whole life's work to get to this point. I think as a provider, what I'm trying to say, and as a young budding clinician, I should say, that's how I want to phrase it. As a young budding clinician, I think the hardest part is realizing who you're going to be every day. And instead of feeling like you're putting on a mask in every room you walk into more so just kind of leaning into your own personality and picking traits. Cause I feel, I tell this to my students all the time. You're going to work with a multitude of different providers during your time in school, during your time in externships, during your time in residency, so on and so forth. Even in your professional life, you're going to meet all kinds of people, all people from different walks of the earth, different from you essentially. And you pick and choose kind of what traits Mm -hmm. you like and what traits you don't like and what you want to embody as an optometric clinician. And I think that that's the part that almost does get exhausting because it feels like you do have to continuously reinvent yourself and really be genuine, but also professional and also be mature if you are a new grad and things like that, you know, really portray yourself in a positive light all the time, which can be exhausting when you have all this self-doubt of, oh gosh, I am new. Oh gosh, maybe they aren't taking me seriously. So I think it's kind of one of those feedback loops where you exalt a certain sort of personality and then you wonder how they are perceiving your personality too. Have any of your instructors in in your undergraduate or graduate career talked about imposter syndrome? Surprisingly, no, actually. I think that it's something that I noticed personally as a trend on social media. Um, And I think that that's another thing, too. You have this world of social media that we all live in, and you see everyone doing these really, really amazing things as eye care providers, as healthcare providers, and just as human beings in general. So you see, you know, you're surrounded by people who are almost putting on a facade, for lack of a better term, and some of it's true and some of it's false, but you don't really know, you kind of blur the lines between reality and um, fantasy when you look and compare yourself to social media. And I found myself doing that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, why did that person get a job at this, you know, particular clinic or, you know, oh, this person is doing this after graduating or being in this field or that field. And, you know, really comparison kills, I think. And I think that in this age Mm -hmm. of digitization, Mm -hmm. it makes it almost harder because you struggle with seeing this and being bombarded with all this information all the time and trying to remember that, you know, you are also doing very, very interesting things. You are also doing a real, real service to your patients. And I think a lot of people in the age of digitization and social media compare themselves, and that's the sad reality of it. 
So when I started going more online and talking more to my peers in the same age group, we all kind of had the same experience of being comparative to our peers and almost Mm -hmm. degrading what we've done and diminishing what we've done, essentially, just really putting it on the back burner and saying, hey, well, you know, yes, we went to the same school or yes, we did the same program or, you know, did residencies at the same time or same kind of situations. But, you know, are they better than me? Do they know more? And kind of comparing on top of the imposter syndrome of feeling like you are inadequate or not as smart as your general cohort. Right, right. Because everybody lives their best life online, right? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. um, And I'd be lying if I said I didn't either. That's another thing too. So I think a lot of us do forget that when we, you know, log on and see everyone, you know, doing their day-to-day lives, but glamorizing it a little bit. And that's the fun of social media too, you know? In that case too, it is really fun to see your friends living their best life. So looking at how far you've come, looking at how much you've done and, and kind of reminding yourself that, you know, you, you deserve to be here and, and what you're going through is, is really part of the feedback loop that's, that's helping you define who you're going to be. Um, is that, is that kind of your, your strategy? Is that working? I think it is working so far. And I think with every day it gets easier and easier, right? I think the main keys for keeping imposter syndrome at bay or keeping comparison issues at bay, you know, when you're comparing yourself to your peers or your colleagues is having a really good support system and really understanding that self-reflection is the key to all of this. There's no harm in sitting and feeling like, you know, you might not be the best in your cohort or you might not be because I never was. I think that's also plays a big role into it. I never was the most smart person in my optometry class. I was very much average. However, I was passionate about it. And I always tell my students that you don't have to be an A plus student, but you have to be an A plus clinician, right? You have to bring, be mindful of the energy you're bringing into every patient's room and really learn what kind of provider you want to be and reflect on the kind of provider you want to be too. You know, what works, what doesn't work, learn from mistakes that you've made, learn from how far you've come and really self-reflect. I think self-reflection is the best tool that us as humans can have because we grow continuously. And like you said prior, our learning never stops, be it in a classroom, be it in clinic, be it in just our communication styles with other humans, Mm -hmm. learning never stops. It's it's great to hear your enthusiasm. I can I can hear it here in in your voice. It it was a really fun conversation because I think this is something <laughs> that affects a lot of people, and it creeps in. You know, maybe in the morning and you're getting dressed, you have to just fight it back for a moment, or you know, at, at various times. And I think you're you're smart to look for those, and and begin to identify those things that get it going, those little fuses that, that start the, the process. Yeah, I agree. I think that just making sure that it keep you know, it's kind of like one of those demons that you just kind of keep at bay, mm-hmm. you know, keep it fed, keep it hungry. But I also think that that does help that cyclical nature, like we were talking about, about really leaning into self-reflection. And I think that a lot of people who don't have imposter syndrome never really self-reflect. And that can also be a negative thing. So, Dr. Dota, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a lovely experience. Thank you for listening. 
I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.